0: Welcome to another episode of the Gulf War, the battle after the war. I'm gonna start with a quick update about a currently broken system. The Choice Program, which is supposed to help veterans who live too far from a VA facility find medical attention in the private sector. They're supposed to be able to make contact with a vet and set an appointment within 30 days. This is the unlimited Choice Program that our president has signed. Previous to that signing, there were limitations, which really doesn't matter if the system is still broken. A good example of that, one month and almost two weeks, and I still hear crickets. Since there's still no consistency in the system, some areas continue to be slightly better than others. Anyway, on to other topics for today. I'll start with a little cheer for Go Florida, not... (laughs) You'll know what that means later when I get to that article. So moving on to the Veterans Affairs. Of course, they've abandoned another 200,000 health care applications this year. An arm of the Veterans Affairs Department in Atlanta eliminated 208,272 applications from across the country for health care early this year amid efforts to shrink a massive backlog of requests saying they were missing signatures or information about military service and income, according to records reviewed by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Veterans groups say the VA should have done more to communicate with the veterans before closing their applications, some of which dated back to 1998. Troops face additional challenges in applying for VA health care, they said, as they grapple with re-entry into civilian life change addresses, following overseas deployments, and and suffering from combat stress. In the middle of the controversy is the VA's Health Eligibility Center, the Atlanta office that oversees the process by which veterans seek access to the VA medical system. It and its parent agency have come under intense scrutiny in recent years for mismanagement and delays in providing medical care presenting a thorny challenge for the administration of President Donald Trump, who focused on veterans' care during his presidential campaign. As of April, 8.8 million veterans were enrolled in the VA's health care system, the agency's records show. The VA said it enrolled 395,417 people in its health care system and rejected 98,897 in the fiscal year ending in September Its backlog of pending applications totaled 317,157 in April, down from a high of 886,045 last year, according to records the VA sent the AGC. That current backlog is still way too high, said Jeremy Butler, CEO of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, a New York-based advocacy group. Uh, They said that those numbers are down, But if you go back up to the top of the article where it says, um, let's see, as of 1998, I missed it, Uh, the 98,897 were rejected for whatever reason, who knows, maybe they did the same thing they did in Atlanta. So the VA sent out one rejection letter to each of those applicants in 2016. In 2017, a bipartisan group of federal lawmakers, including Georgia Senator Johnny Isaacson, urged the VA to send the applicants an additional letter clarifying what missing information they needed to turn in. The lawmakers were responding to allegations that a coding error caused the VA to send veterans incorrect letters about what they still needed to submit. The VA said it opted against sending an additional letter after its Office of Inspector General determined there was no such error and that the letters it sent in 2016 were appropriate and complied with federal law. Isaacson, who leads the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, was unavailable for an interview, according to an aide, but his spokeswoman said the VA took Isaacson's recommendation to have the Inspector General review the issue and then briefed to the Senators' Committee about its decision to close the applications. Adesato called the VA's decision to send just one letter to the applicants in 2016 before closing their cases this year, quite unfortunate. When we hear about the VA not taking a more thoughtful approach to a situation like this, when they only send one letter because they have an incomplete application, I think we all should be expecting our government and this administration to do better by our veterans, he said. The VA said veterans may reapply for health care. The agency said it is now striving to contact people about incomplete applications up to six times each with phone calls and letters. I can speak from experience here. Yes, they do give you a call. No, they don't leave you a message and the phone will ring twice maybe three times if you're lucky and they'll hang up and never call you back. Its Health Eligibility Center in Atlanta, meanwhile, has added 115 employees since July of 2016. The 208,272 eliminated cases didn't receive such treatment though. That also has drawn renewed criticism from Scott Davis, a VA employee and whistleblower who testified before Congress in 2014 about problems at the VA's health eligibility center, located off Claremont Road. This purge has the dual effect of letting the VA avoid the work of processing the applications and absolving the agency of any responsibility for veterans' delayed access to health and disability benefits. Davis wrote in an article for the Washington Examiner in May. Defending its decision Defending its decision, the VA pointed to a federal law that says applications that remain incomplete for a year cannot be approved. I didn't follow up on this law, but if you want to, they say it's a federal law, but in here they address it further down. In accordance with federal law, VA closed 208,272 incompleted health care enrollment applications between January and February. The VA said in a prepared statement, it would have been illegal for v a to keep the applications open. Davis disputed that saying the law doesn't say anything about closing applications in an interview, he accused the v a of purging applications under a law that does not give them the authority to do so. asked how many of the two hundred and eight two hundred seventy two i'm sorry two hundred eight thousand two hundred seventy two applications the agency closed were from former prisoners of war. Purple Heart recipients, and combat veterans, the VA told the AJC that the newspaper would have to file a request under the Federal Freedom of Information Act for that information. And get this, the AJC did that last month, and the request is still pending. No surprise. So, moving on to a a different article. I'll post this one so y'all can look at it and make comments as necessary. The next one is a little sketchy, but I'm going to go over it anyway because it's a bonus for our uh, Blue Water veterans. There was a bill, HR 299, that was recently passed, which is awesome. There's a lot in there favoring the Blue Water veterans where they were getting nothing initially. The article here talks about um, how the the law is helping Vietnam veterans with their health care benefits. And I'll read through what somebody wrote here from uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. It says, President Trump recently signed into law the Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Act, which is H.R. 299. Its purpose is to provide additional benefits to Navy veterans and their families. Tonight, one of those vets talks to Action 10 News about the new law and how it is so long overdue. You have a tremendous sense of pride about what you did, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. An emotional retired U.S. Navy Captain, Ty Sigler, told us. He retired after 30 years of proudly serving his country and is now living in the coastal bend. He did four tours in Vietnam, serving on various ships, including the USS Halsey and USS Dubuque? Dubuque? I don't know how you say that. D-U-B-U-Q-U-E. On Tuesday, June 25th, President Trump signed HR-299 into law. Blue water is somebody that was never in country. They could be right up to the shore, but never have boots on the ground, he explained. Advocates of HR-299 have argued that veterans who served offshore were susceptible to Agent Orange due to runoff into the water that veterans on offshore carriers used for basic needs like drinking, bathing, and cooking. Sigler knows all about it because he's one of an estimated hundreds of thousands who stand to realize these new benefits. Now 77 years old, he suffers from the same medical issues many of those he served with in Vietnam suffer from like prostate cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, loss of hearing, and skin cancer. District 27 representative Michael Cloud co-sponsored the bill. Up until now, only those who served on land have been automatically eligible to receive care. And so what the Blue Water Bill does is it extends to those who served in the region just offshore. Many of them drank the water that had the runoff or handled it on the ships. By Sigler's estimation, we're talking hundreds of thousands of Navy veterans, But it is still unclear how or when these new benefits will be handled by the Veterans Administration. The benefits in H.R. 299 also extend to children of certain Navy veterans. And you can read the entire bill at H.R. 299. If you Google it, it'll come up. It's pretty easy to find. I'm not going to read through that because it's very lengthy. But that's definitely a bonus. Um, There is another article that's out there. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. That was... Rather interesting, it seemed to point out that somewhere in this bill is also going to be affected uh, as far as loans go, VA loans. And I'll post this one, too, when I post the podcast. It says, VA loan limits to be lifted in 2020. VA says, lender guidelines will be released ahead of January effective date. Last month, President Donald Trump signed a bill into law that allows the Department of Veterans Affairs to back loans that exceed the conforming loan limit. The bill, H.R. 299, enables home buyers using a VA loan to borrow above the 2019 limit of $484,350 for most counties without any down payment. A VA spokesperson told Housing Wire that the loan limit will be lifted for loans that are guaranteed or appraised on or after January 1, 2020, and that guidance for lenders would be coming ahead of this date, published on the VA home loan circular page of its website. The VA also clarified other changes that will go into effect as a result of the bill. In addition to alleviating limits for veterans looking to purchase a home, H.R. 299 temporarily increases rates for certain loans by 0.15 to 0.30%, the VA said. The slight bump in loan fees is intended to help finance health care costs for veterans who are suffering the effects of Agent Orange exposure as a result of their service. I have not found any other description or link to this, and I read the bill myself and didn't see it written in there, so I'm not sure the validity or the truth to this statement. Um, Uh, Going on, additional changes to the VA's loan guarantee program include the elimination of funding fee differences for borrowers who are veterans versus those who are members of the reserve. It also removes the loan limit for the Native American Direct Loan Program, exempts Purple Heart recipients from paying loan fees, and authorizes VA-designated appraisers to rely on third parties for appraisal-related information. The bill's passage comes after years of lobbying on behalf of numerous trade groups, including the National Association of Realtors, which teamed with other housing industry trade groups to ensure veterans' health care benefits would be extended without a significant increase to VA loan fees. Now that the bill is passed, it is expected to fast-track disability compensation for as many as 90,000 affected former service members, according to Military.com. The VA said it does not have any formal projections as to how the change is brought on by the bill will, it, will its home loan guarantee program. There's some words missing in that statement, so it's difficult to make sense out of what she's saying or he. But that's the end of that article, and I'll post that one as well so you can look at it. Uh, back to my cheering for Florida. The uh, article I found, thanks to... Uh, my girlfriend's interjection on my re- research. <clears throat> the Florida courts rule medical marijuana scheme unconstitutional. What's next? I think that's a valid question. Florida courts have spoken. They say the state's medical marijuana distribution system is unconstitutional and that could soon force the legislature and the industry to make changes. So I'm going to go ahead and let somebody read this to you. So hold on and take a listen.
1: Specifically, the portion that defines a medical marijuana. Florida courts have spoken and say the state's medical marijuana distribution system is unconstitutional. That could soon force the legislature and in the industry to make changes. I'm Blaze Ganey. In the case of Floragrown versus the Florida Department of Health, the First District Court of Appeals said the legislature's rules to get a license conflict with the constitutional amendment specifically the portion that defines a medical marijuana treatment center. The amendment
2: said an MMTC would grow, dispense, or process, or educate. It, the, the word or means they could do any one of those items. In the law that was promulgated by the state, They said the word
1: and and they created a vertical system. Dr. Mark Moore is a certified medical cannabis physician for MedCan in Tallahassee. We're at year
2: three. Three years have gone by and this was just declared unconstitutional and recognized what all the patients in the public recognized two and a half years ago that this was not acceptable.
1: By requiring treatment centers to also do production and distribution, the state has created a system that favors large businesses, according to the Department of Health, there are only one hundred and forty two dispensaries in Florida and twenty two businesses out of those, only thirteen are operating and serving two hundred and forty thousand floridians it 's really unheard
2: of. There are no other states that do it that have done it this way. Um, Oregon has thousands of licenses. Colorado has thousands of licenses. California, thousands of licenses.
1: Dr. Moore wants Florida to make a change to be more like those states. Medical Marijuana Business Association of Florida's executive director Jeffrey Sharkey thinks the state will be more hesitant than Moore hopes. These licenses
3: recently have been sold for anywhere between you know fifty and sixty million dollars, so there's a lot of investment that's been made in these existing licenses here. I think it would be. Uh, I think the department would be a little reluctant. To step out on their own and say we think that a reasonable number of decoupled licenses, a license for cultivation, a license for processing, a license for retail distribution, should be X, whatever that number is. And Sharkey thinks opening the market may not be the right approach. i watched the national market. Uh, the price of a pound of marijuana, uh, adult rec legal, uh, two years ago was $4,000 a pound, approximately. It's now $900 a pound, because there's so much oversupply, there's so many licenses, so many growers, that they're flooding the market with product, and people
1: are undercutting. Sharkey instead thinks the legislature will ultimately get a second shot at fixing the market, a market First DCA Judge Scott Makar calls an oligopoly, while others have a harsher word for it.
3: They can call it an oligopoly, I'll call it a cartel. Um, I think what the legislature did was set up essentially a a state-sanctioned cartel. Uh, for decades, almost generations, we the, the the guy the good guys with the guns went after the cartels. Now the good guys with the guns protect the cartels as it relates
1: to medical marijuana. Florida needs to end this. We need to we need to uh, open up the market. That's St. Petersburg Republican Senator Jeff Brandis. For the past three years, he's filed legislation to open the medical marijuana market, and says he never supported vertical integration.
3: There's 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 room for. Probably dozens, if not hundreds, of growers in the state of Florida. There's room for a handful of processors, and there's room for, for a number of dispensaries.
1: Brandis believes having more businesses is best for the market and will benefit patients. All along the line,
3: it was always what was best
1: for the medical marijuana treatment centers. It was not what was best for the patient. What's best for the patient is access. Brandis says patients who can't afford medical marijuana don't have access to it because their medicine isn't affordable. An ounce in Florida can be up to $400, as opposed to $30 in Oregon. For now, Senator Brandis says he's waiting to hear whether the governor's office will appeal the ruling. If not, he expects this to be the focus when committee weeks start in September. For WFSU News, I'm Blaze Ganey.
0: And that's all I have. <laughs> I'll let you draw your conclusions from that. I'm not going to give any opinions. There's a lot of cannabis knowledge out there that can uh, respond to this article. Y'all have a great day. Enjoy your week and don't forget to hug a vet.